Continuing with this series tonight, now we're going to look at the third facet of what it means when I say, it's your money, make it first and make it last. And tonight we're going to be talking about the generous giver. Excuse me one second, I get this right here. The generous giver. A lot of people, especially Christians, should be givers because for God so loved that he gave, and it's not really difficult for us to be givers. However, we can tend to be a little bit choosy about who we give to. <clears throat> you can depend upon the Lord, and I've told you he owns everything, so even your money belongs to God. The money we have, God gave to us. Give him a hand of praise. And the interesting thing about that is that he trusts us with the money he gives us. Now, I've taught you that money is just a tool. It, it doesn't give you prestige. It doesn't decrease your value, but it's just a tool. And God wants you to use it to further his kingdom. We've said in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But some of us got ourselves in debt, and so we're, we weren't prudent consumers as we learned the second week. So now that we're going to talk about giving in generosity, it may be unsettling to you at first, but in hopes if you bear with me, I want to explain to you what all this is about. Looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 5. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let me read that again. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, Jewish nation at that time wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. They rejected the Gentiles. So when Paul said that he was called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles, that's all of us, the non-Jews, they became Christians. They accepted the Lord as their Savior, and they were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, since the Jewish nation, as important as they are to God, didn't want anything to do with the Christian church, God, in his wise mercy and his wisdom, allowed there to be a famine in the land of Israel. And so when there's no crops, doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy crops. And so Paul, the apostle, went to all these churches that he had started at the, of the Gentile churches, Galatia, Galatia, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi, and he collected an offering to take to the Jewish nation of Israel. And so when Israel was suffering, it were the Christians who blessed them. And God was able to restore and bring reconciliation between the Jewish nation and Israel. Let's give him a hand of praise. I mean, the Gentiles. So you may be able to see that when you don't want 
something to do with another person. For whatever reason, God, in his wise wisdom, may put a need in your life that only the person you're rejecting is can, can feel. I've often said, you can be driving from Palo Alto, I mean, from San Francisco through Palo Alto at three in the morning, and it's raining, and you get a flat tire, and you have nothing in the trunk to fix that flat. And as you're waiting, you don't know what you're waiting for because you haven't called a tow truck, you, have the, you don't have the ability to do that. Well, guess who comes by? The one person you can't stand. And when you say, can you help me? And what they do as they're driving off, they throw a crowbar at you. And see, that's why God says, put your trust in me. Put your trust in me when you have something. If I ask you to forgive someone and to talk to them, this is what this sermon's about when we talk about giving. So Paul calls the Macedonians generosity a gift of God's grace. And that's what I want you to focus on. But what does it mean? There can be a tendency in some Christian circles to restrict grace to only one of the ways it is spoken of in the Bible, the unearned gratuitous favor of God. But in the fullness of biblical teaching, divine grace is not only a gift to be received by us, but it's also, watch this, an energizing reality through which love flows out to others. An energizing reality through which love flows out to others. In other words, God puts in our hearts the reality or the energy to love those that are hard to love. And how many of you know someone that's hard to love? All of us do. How many know we're hard to love? And so this grace from God, it's always available to us when there's something that he asks us to do that we find difficult. I can't do that. Well, he says, I know that, but I'm going to give you my grace. And again, it is uh, the energy reality through which love flows out to others. The Macedonians were eager channels of God's blessing because they lived in accordance with his will. And their actions revealed their love and devotion to God and then to others. Entirely on their own initiative, the Macedonians became involved in this collection that Paul was organizing to take care of Israel. Paul, perhaps thinking that they too were suitable candidates for aid because this Macedonian church was very, very, very poor. You know, someone said to me, there's the poor that the poor, there's the poor that we call poor, and then there's the poor that the poor call poor. And this Macedonian church had, they were, at the time of this offering, they were living in poverty. They didn't have too much to give. But their actions revealed their love and devotion to God. So entirely on their own initiative, the Macedonians became involved in the collection. Paul, perhaps thinking they too were suitable candidates for aid, hesitated to approach them about the need in Jerusalem. However, like the poor widow Jesus commended, they were undeterred by their own poverty and gave selflessly trusting God to meet their needs. So when we ask you as Christians to help others, to bless others, you're not going to make a decision based on what you have, but based on who your source is. So your job is not your source, God is your source. Come on. So we're giving 
and we learn to give by the grace of God, and when he asks us to bless someone, he'll give you what you need to bless them with. If you come in, how many heard of the word windfall? If you come into a windfall, like an exorbitant amount, or any amount of money, but it, you don't even know how you got it, ask God, what do you want me to do with this? And he gives you a name. Don't say, Lord, not them. <laughs> do what God told you. And I'll tell you this. If you become a channel through which his blessings flow to others and not a reservoir who gathers and heaps up everything he gives you, God will continue to use you because he knows he can trust you. <clears throat> and one could wish that today more churches were like the Macedonians who pleaded for the privilege of giving. That's what I would like to help us to understand tonight, the privilege of giving. That identifies you as a child of God. That's the one characteristic that should be evident and manifested in your life when you first come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. But the Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord. Lord, I belong to you. Lord, I serve you. Lord, I want to obey you. And then they gave it to the apostles because they realized the great significance of their salvation. How many remember what you were before you came to Christ? And then you know now what God has done in your life. How many are glad God took you out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock? So you say, I know where I came from. I know what I was. But I thank God I'm no longer there. Thank God I now belong to God, and he's going to use me to bless. So, And they realized their salvation. They gave back to God what they had. They gave generously. They gave voluntarily. They gave gratefully. And they gave joyfully. Again? No. They gave with joy. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Let's look at the generous giver. The generous giver is defined as one who gives with an obedient will, a joyful attitude, and a compassionate heart. That there I go, but for the grace of God. That could be me. I don't need to bore you with my history, but I remember years ago, all I drove was a 73 Super Beetle Volkswagen. And I didn't even have enough to buy new tires. I had to go to some place on Monterey Highway and buy used tires. That's just the way it was back then. And yet over the years, as we, Linda and I, continued to give at Cathedral so they could build all these buildings on this property, God continued to bless us. But your life, your life is measured by your love. Not your intelligence, not your possessions, not where you live, but by your love. Lean over to somebody and say, I think he's talking about you right now. <laughs> so if your life is measured by your love, your love is measured by your giving. Everyone hear that? Your life. <clears throat> well, my notes say that when you read that quote, Pastor Mike, they're going to clap really hard, and I think you missed it, so I'm going to do it again. No, wait, let me say it again. <laughs> your life is measured by your love, 
and your love is measured by your giving. Because look at this statement. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That's why I say, as a child of God, your life is characterized by your giving because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So what identifies you as a Christian? If you want to know, am I really a Christian? Am I saved? Look at your giving. Look at how you respond to those who need it more than we do with generosity. And so before I go on, I'm not just talking about money. But if you looked in your homes, if you looked in your closet, how many clothes are there that you haven't worn and you're not going to wear? And if you're waiting for them to come back in style, forget it. That's not going to happen. <laughs> but there are new moms that can't afford baby clothes, and you might have a lot of them. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, and so from your children, there's things you can find in your home that you're no longer using, and you can sell them like in a garage sale, or you can use them to bless those less fortunate than ourselves. So love and giving are the dominant characteristics of a born-again Christian. It doesn't say how much scripture you know, how you can walk the talk and talk the talk. Your love and your giving are the dominant characteristics of a born-again Christian. Because they don't have to say anything. They don't have to say, well, I'm a Christian. You show it by your love and your giving. They are twins that cannot be separated. And a Christian will realize and will recognize all that God has done for them and in their gratitude begin to give to others. Because I told you in the previous weeks, we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave this world with nothing. You can't take anything with you. Yeah, I want to take all the stuff in my garage. You can't. I want to take all my jewelry. You can't. And for those of you who are from England, you can't. She just can't. You're not going to take anything with you. Your Corvette, your Porsche, your Land Cruiser, it stays here. Everything that we have stays here. Naked came I into the world, and naked I shall leave the world. So, but in our culture, there are these two types of people. There are givers and there are takers. Even in our relationships, we see two types of individuals, givers and takers. And I ask, which one are you? Sometimes it is not that easy to tell in the beginning of a relationship or a business, and sometimes it is very clear. But situations will easily depict which nature resides within you. If we were to take inventory of ourselves, we would know immediately if God had given us this grace or not. We would know if we were stingy, if we were greedy, or still looking out for numero uno, for number one. So what we need to ask God for is the desire to give. That's why we talked about God's grace. Give me this desire to give, especially to those I don't think deserve it but I can see that they need it. Give me the desire to give. The desire to give is not found in our society, 
nor is it found in our culture here in the Bay Area. This is why there are Christians. This is why God did not take you home right after you became a born-again Christian. He wants us here as demonstrations of his love and demonstrations of his generosity. The scriptural text tells us that from their trial came joy and from their poverty came generosity. It's like we don't have anything to give, but what we do have, we're going to give, and it far surpassed what the Apostle Paul expected because they knew God is going to restore what we give away to others. If you think you're giving away, go ahead. If you think you're giving away and you're not going to have any more, that's not true. That's what the, the devil tells you. You're not going to give that away, are you? Yes. Yes. Because God is your source. Say that with me. God is your source. Tell the person next to you, God is your source. Well, how can this be? God gives you the grace, which is the divine influence upon the heart, and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. You may be clean and pure and wholesome in here, but no one will ever know until you explain or expose that generosity. Because people don't expect others to be generous. They feel that Christians should be generous. And we may not have the best jobs. We may not drive the nicest cars. But what we have, God wants us to bless others. He's got children who aren't well-to-do. They're not well-off. They have needs. But you can recall what you were, as I said earlier, before you came to Christ and how someone helped you. You think it's cold right now. People can use jackets. People can use blankets. People can use food. And that's what is required of God's children. Be generous. And if you know, uh, let's say, a single-parent mom here at the church, for example, that she doesn't have enough to pay her groceries, and you want to bless her, you don't need to toot horns and have sirens go off in bright lights. Hello, look what I'm doing. In fact, you can go up to her, and you can just quietly shake her hand and leave the money in her hand. And she'll look at you perhaps and start crying and say, this is the exact amount I needed. And who are you? And say, well, someone told me to give it to you. Well, who? I don't know. They just came up and gave me this, said, bless that woman with that. You don't have to tell her it's you. Because the one who told you to give it is him. And God's word says... God's word says, do not let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. I'm giving. I want everyone to see I'm giving. And the, the Bible says that you may give in secret, but God will reward you openly. So the more you have, if I taught you, Everything we have comes from God. The more you have, it's not yours. So use it for what you need 
But look around for the needs of others. They're just surprised. They'll say, why, why are you doing this? Imagine if you needed tires. And someone from the church came up to you and said, look, I'm going to give you this so you can go buy some tires. Now, let's say they gave you, let's say 800. Let's say they gave you $1,000 and they said, I'm going to bless you with this because I can see you need tires on your car. Don't go out to dinner that night with that. <laughs> Don't go buy a couple of suits or dresses or heels. Use it for what it was intended. Did everyone hear that? They gave it to you for tires. Don't use it for something else. So if they don't tell you this money is for that, then it's up to you how you use that money. That was and is the purpose of a trial. When you have a trial and you're suffering and you have a need, it's to expose what you really are. That's the purpose of the trial. Not who, but what you really are. Not what you seem to be on the surface, but what you are on the inside. Because the only one that knows that is you and God. Him and you are the only two that know what you really are. Not what you seem to be on the surface, but what you are on the inside in the heart. And these people in the Macedonian church, though poor, they were incredibly happy. Though they were poor, they were incredibly happy. And maybe that's what we need to learn. No, I need more in order to be happy. You don't. Happiness comes from God, not from happenings. Because when you go to... Have you ever stood out there? outside the gates of Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. <laughs> when people are coming out, they don't look too happy. Get over here, let's go right now. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Happiness doesn't come from happenings. And money, the purpose of money is not to provide security. The purpose, I'm sorry, security comes from God, not from money. Because people with a lot of money may put up bars and alarms and cameras and everything and still not feel secure, but enough of that. So people in our country, though rich, are incredibly sad, frustrated, and full of envy. Why is it that the person with the Maserati drives it over the cliff and commits suicide? It's not what you have, it's who you belong to. So we learn from the scripture that they gave themselves first to the Lord. Is this the pattern for giving? Let's look at it. God created you. God created everything. Based on that fact alone, he is the sole owner of everything, including you and I. You belong to him. How do we know that he's a sole owner? Because what he created, he created out of nothing. Let there be, and there was. Satan challenged God with a contest to see who could make a man the fastest. And God said, okay, let's have the game. And so they said, go. And Satan started to gather dirt off the ground. And God said, what are you doing? 
He said, I'm going to make a man. He said, then get your own dirt. That's mine. That's mine. And those of you who didn't get that, just go, you'll get it at 10 o'clock tonight at home. Oh, that's what he meant. God created everything. Based on that fact alone, he's a sole owner of everything, including you and I. You and I belong to him. He died on the cross for you, and he purchased us back from Satan and from damnation. So he created you, and he bought you. He owns us twice. All you need to do is willingly give yourself to him for his purposes and see that you excel in the grace of giving. This is what marks you as a child of God. It was July 1st in the year 2000, many of you know this, that I was diagnosed and needed a quadruple bypass. And I went and had a quadruple bypass, and my admin, Deanna, right there, was sitting by my wife, and the doctor came out when he finished the surgery, and that doctor said, I held Mike's beating heart in my hand as I was sewing the artery. Boom, 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 boom. Can you believe that? He held my heart in his hand while he was sewing the arteries. 13 years later, here I am. Here I am. And what's surprising is I went to our previous senior pastor, Pastor Kenny Foreman, and I told him, an excitement, pastor, pastor, the doctor said that he held my beating heart in his hand. And he pointed his finger at me, he said, Mike, that wasn't the doctor, that was God. And that, that made me weep, and I thought, you owe me, own me three times. You gave me life by creating me. You gave me salvation by saving me. And then you take care of my heart on that day 13 years ago. And you guided the hands of that surgeon. And even after that, when I was doing a workout with kettlebells with my, my son, he said, Dad, you got the heart of a 21-year-old. Can you believe that? And I'm 71 now, 71. But <laughs> ladies, no offense, but my only prayer to the surgeon was, <laughs> please don't give me a lady's heart. <laughs> please don't give me a woman's heart. Are you crying? What are you crying for? I can't help it now. I can't help it. <laughs> I didn't want to become sensitive. No, I'm just joking, ladies. Okay. So the churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea had given money even though they were poor. And this is why this scripture is in the Bible. They had given more than the Apostle Paul expected. This was sacrificial giving. They were poor themselves, but they wanted to help. The point of giving, hear this, is not so much the amount we give, but why and how we give. Why did you give this to me? You know why? Because I'm grateful for what God did for me. Here. God doesn't want gifts given grudgingly. Instead, he wants us to give as these churches did. Out of dedication to Christ, 
love for fellow believers, the joy of helping those in need, as well as the simple fact that it was simply the good and the right thing to do. Help a brother, as they say. Help a sister. Help somebody. Before you go another month, help somebody. Find somebody to help and bless them. Come on, church. Bless them. Bless them. <clears throat> bless them. Why? Because God has blessed you. You've often asked God to answer a prayer. <clears throat> However he chooses to do that, just show him how grateful you are. Giving is a natural response of love. And if you were to take inventory at your home, as I mentioned earlier, you would see that there's many things that you have not used and do not use. These things are taking up space and they could either be sold and the money given to help the poor, or if these items are in good condition, they could be given directly to the poor. Sacrifice means giving up something I love for something I love and cherish more. Giving up something I love for something I love and cherish more. Because God gave me favor and was merciful to me, I realize and recognize that I can give favor to those less fortunate than I am. I can give so that the gospel can also be shared with them. And I can give so that their lives can be more comfortable. It's not my fault they're alcoholics. No, it's not your fault. But it's going to be your fault that they went hungry or cold when you could have blessed them. Well, they didn't have the common sense to get out of that situation they're in. When did you and I become a judge? It's so easy in our previous nature to be critical. That's not what God wants from us. 2 Corinthians 6.10, read this with me. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Let's say it again, because I didn't hear anyone. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. I'll tell you something, that the older you get, the less you realize that you need. Or I should say perhaps the less you desire. You know how when you're young, but you don't have anything, but when you get older, you have everything? You don't have energy, but you have wisdom. The young people have all this energy, but they don't know what to do. But if I were to ask you, do you think you're blessed? Okay, praise God. Those four people, you're dismissed. You can go ahead. Do you think you're blessed? If you are, then become a blessing. Because God says, I have blessed you to make you a blessing. If you're not, ask God, because we talked about grace. Give me the grace to bless others. And 
if you just gave to everyone on every corner that you saw in the Bay Area that was homeless, you might not have any money. But you can ask God. You can ask God. Give me the name of someone that I can bless. Because he'll hear you. And then you say, but I don't have anything to give him. And he'll say, I know that, so I'm going to give it to you. So when someone comes and blesses you, but you ask God, give me something to bless others, don't go spend that money. Because it's not your money. Go and bless that other person. And here's what will happen. God will bless you so you can bless others. God will bless you so you can bless others.